try and finish uh, last week's message. Psalm 51, please. Preparing the heart for the for a revival. Out of all of David's psalms, two or three of them stand out. One of them that is a repeat throughout the book of Psalms is the psalm uh, is, is the idea of frustration. David was frustrated with the will of God. Saul was stopping him from being king, and so he would write. God, have you forsaken me? He'd be very frustrated. But that wasn't the hardest psalm that David ever wrote. I believe Psalm 51 was the hardest psalm he ever put to paper. If you go to Psalm 51, look verse 10, please. Psalm 51 and verse 10. Uh, These are not the most popular messages because you talk about the heart, you talk about things very close to home. And I believe in my life, in your life, in church, in our nation, we need revival. We need revival. We need something that restores joy, passion, and energy for things of God. Something overwhelms the disappointments and the disasters that that none of us are immune to. We need something that encourages us and, and upholds us more than just a night on the town. And really, what God did was, through David's sin, God wrote through him and had him, ex- uh, had him understand and develop the most incredible response to apathy, spiritual apathy and sluggishness, just where you just, bleh, you just don't have that spiritual umph to you anymore. Listen to David's request in Psalm 51. I'll start in verse 10 down to 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within who? Now you'll find that word me in there over and over and over. He speaks about me, my, mine, I. This is him. And he's talking about himself. And he wants a joy back. Verse 11, he says, Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. He wanted to to experience and feel again what it felt like when he got saved. And I do too. I I remember the day I got saved. I, I still can't get over it. I still, it's still greatest day of my life. It was not religious. Uh, it wasn't even in church. You know, nothing wrong with getting saved in church. Um, the idea is to get saved. But that place and that moment ought to be the highest point, the best day of your life because you got saved from wrath. You got saved from coming doom that you deserved. Now, When it comes to revival, it's not God's fault when things are dead, when things aren't working, when things are just dragging on. The problem's in us. It always has to come back to you. You can't cry out and say, God, what's what's wrong with you? (laughs) Hopefully you would never pray that, all right? The problem's in us. 
The problem is trying to find out why our fellowship with God is sluggish. Now, if we're going to have any kind of revival, we need a clean heart. The foundation of a close relationship with God is not your money. It's not who you politically align yourself with. The foundation for a close relationship with God is not where you live. It's not uh, your health. It is a clean heart. And if you, listen, when it comes to Psalm 51, if you can't take this psalm and make it speak of you, if you can't put your feet into this psalm and walk in these shoes, then you are cold and hard and you are in need of revival the most. Because this is people. This is us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and most importantly, our heart to correction and to the word of God this morning. And let it like a knife go as deep as it needs to and expose things that we've held on to, things that we have not dealt with and have hindered our relationship with you and with others. I pray that you give us revival. Revival is not a prayer we pray. It's not a place we go to. It's not like a carnival. It's not like a fun fair. It is something that explodes out of the heart of people who get right with God. Would you just light a few matches this morning and let it spread throughout our church, throughout our city, and throughout our nation. But let it begin with me. Lord, there's there's plenty of people in this room who are on the outside, look like pretty good people. But on the inside, there's so much sin. There's so much hardness. There's so much coldness. Some of it is because they've never been saved. Some because they've forgotten that they've been saved. Please work in our midst this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, what happened to David? By way of background, we went over it last week. We looked at 1 Samuel chapter 11, 2 Samuel chapter 11, sorry. And we saw David get in trouble with God. He got in a, he got in a lot of trouble with God. He was bored. Nothing wrong with, with taking a break. You've worked all week and you sit down, you read the paper, you read a book, or you just, you watch the news or whatever. There's a problem when, at that point in your boredom, you decide to go looking for lust. You gotta have that little thrill, that buzz, that, 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 uh, that excitement that you used to have before you got saved. And he, in his boredom, he decided he wasn't gonna do, gonna do what he was supposed to. He stayed home instead of going out to, to the battle. And then he said, you know, I think there's some woman that goes out on the roof of her house and she bathes. I'm gonna go take a look at it. And that's exactly what he did. And adultery was his thrill. He didn't mind, he didn't mind knowing and, and looking, but he said, you know what, I'm gonna partake. And he took another man's wife. It didn't bother him at all. That was his thrill. Now, you know, when it comes to lust, it doesn't matter whether uh, you've never committed adultery physically. It doesn't matter whether you've stolen a million euros or whatever. You've got a lust that you like to perform and like that you like to do that you, that you wish nobody could see you do. Everybody does. Part of our heart. David, his thrill was adultery. Who's going to, who's going to tell on him? Who's going to correct him? He's king. 
Then he covers it up. You know, you're always in trouble when you're lying and you're covering it up. You're trying to let nobody know. Then he murdered a good man, a thousand times better than David. He wasn't even a Jew. He was a proselyte who had come into uh, the people of God. Uriah was an amazing man, and he had him murdered to cover up David's sin. Nine months, and this is the biggest problem with David. We'll talk about this a lot today, but nine months went by, and he didn't have a problem with what he had done. There was no conviction. There was no concern. There was no bother. There was nothing. He went along as if everything is hunky-dory, going to church, going to the temple, singing the songs, holding the Bible, and he didn't care. And then he's caught. Wasn't caught in any act. He was rebuked and, and confronted by a preacher named Nathan. You know what's wonderful? It broke David. It broke him. The difference between King David and King Saul was not the number of sins, because Saul didn't commit that many sins. David committed a lot of them. But Saul never got right. And the good thing about David was, he was always getting right. Amen? Always. When he got confronted, he always softened. Now, he's in trouble, because you just don't, you just don't commit adultery, especially under the Old Testament law. You just don't commit murder. Do you know that is a capital offense? You know what a capital offense is? Most of you have to be over 40 to know what that word means. (laughs) Capital offense means it was worthy of the death penalty. You murder somebody, you should die. Amen. And that still ought to be true. Somebody may accidentally, that's called manslaughter. We're talking about premeditated murder. Somebody murders somebody, they shouldn't go to jail for 20 years. They should die. That's the Bible. You may not like that, but I believe the Bible. You commit adultery... Folks, you go out and you take another man's wife while he's out fighting a war, I believe you should die. Amen. It's a capital offense. Now, thank God for the grace of God. Thank God for second chances. But I'll be honest with you. David was doomed. I mean, what can he do? And this wasn't the only time that David was in trouble with God. You'll find it throughout the Bible and throughout Psalms where he cries out and he says, Lord, I'm, I'm tired of fighting you. I'm tired of living in sin. The worst thing was that for almost, almost a year, for nine months, he just didn't care about his sin. That's, uh, that's scary. That's scary. If your sin doesn't bother you, you ought to be bothered. Amen. Um, Psalm 51 shows the best way to work through lethargy. You know what lethargy means? Apathy, just sluggishness. It's, I think it's the best way to work through it because there is coming judgment. And if you want to get saved from God having to deal with you and chasing you and correct you, Psalm 51 is for you. Amen? What follows is how David got right with God and how Israel experienced revival time and time. Because how David got right with God is the only way that a nation can get right with God. A church can get right with God. A person can get right with God even 3,000 years later. So, Last week I told you three things, and I mentioned the third one. I'm going to mention it again a little more in depth. How he got right with God after getting so wrong. Number one, he trusted in God's mercy. Look in Psalm 51, verse 1. He says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. What is he, what is he appealing to? What is he asking for? Compassion. I mean, look, he can't ask for justice. Huh? 
you're speeding. You're going, you're going uh, 140 kilometers an hour in an 80 kilometer an hour zone. You can't go to the go to the guard, and when he pulls you over, you can't say, "I want justice." Boy, he'll throw you in the jail as fast as a heartbeat. Ask for mercy, compassion. He he said, "Lord, have mercy on me. Don't give me what I deserve." Secondly, he acknowledged his transgressions. That means he took responsibility. If there's anything that men and women need today, it is the ability to say, I did wrong and I'll face up to it. Instead of running, instead of blaming society, instead of blaming your mom, instead of blaming your dad, instead of blaming your boss, own up to the fact you did wrong. Amen. Took responsibility. These were key for David, in this psalm, for him to be right and to be allowed to continue to live. Thirdly, he judged himself. 1 Corinthians 11. I'll, yeah, hold your place here. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I mentioned this, but I, I have to develop it a little bit more. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And speaking of the Lord's remembrance supper, 1 Corinthians 11. And every time we gather together and we have the Remembrance Supper, the first thing we do is we examine ourselves. Why do we do that? Why do we spend... Why not just... Why not just pass around the bread and some hot sauce and some tamari sauce and soy sauce and let's have fun... No, no, no. This is a serious, serious time where you examine yourself and you say, Lord, hit the reset button. Let me be right with you again. Let me remember what put you on the cross first day. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. In other words, if I deal with me, God won't have to. Amen. If I deal with me, God won't have to. Now, what did David say when Nathan pointed out, you're the man? You know what David had already said? The man in the parable who had stolen another man's only ewe lamb, only baby lamb, and had taken it and given it to some passing Hoover salesman, for dinner. Um, uh, David said, that man should die. And when he said that, he realized he should die. He judged himself. He didn't blame. He didn't try to squirm out of it. What did he say? I'm wrong and I deserve whatever God gives me. That's where you start. Now, you'll only find God's mercy when you have finally dealt with any sin you've gotten used to. You see, this wasn't just sin that David was struggling with. It was sin that he was used to. That he was, he was accustomed to. And there are plenty of people in this room who are accustomed to bitter, anger, arguing, uh, watching filthy television shows and late at night and they're sitting there and they got no problem with it. You know what happens when you start watching that stuff? We start seeing you less and less on Sunday. It's just as natural. The world wins, folks. You start to take their bait, they got you hook, line, and sinker. You're lost from, from the plan. Not lost from, from heaven, but uh, you're, you, you, you go on your own way. So when it, comes to, when it comes to finding God's mercy, if you want mercy, you want to start off and you want to say, Lord, I don't want to get what I deserve. To deal with any sin that you've gotten used to. Not just, you say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not sinning. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not doing something ter terribly wrong. But what you need to look at your life and say, what am I used to? What do I got going? What comes out of my mouth? 
What goes into my eyes? Where do my eyes wander? What am I used to? David had to own up to the fact he had gotten used to living with the idea he could, he could get away with murder and he could get away with adultery. He could cover it up and he would be fine. You know what he's dealing with now? Lord, I need your mercy. And I'm sorry for what I got used to. See, it's okay. It's a big thing, and I'll say this in a little bit. It's a big thing to say, Lord, please forgive me for doing wrong. That's where you start. But how about you saying, Lord, forgive me for getting used to doing wrong. It's then that you can ask God and get the impossible, and you can get forgiveness, and you can get another chance. As a matter of fact, you can get chance after chance if you humble yourself like David did. By the way, be careful that some of you don't try and take the place of God and judge everyone around you. And I, this is the day we live in. We love, we love, uh, go to Mark chapter 3, hold in your place here in Psalm, but we love, what do they call it, reality TV shows? Anybody watch those stupid things? Don't raise your hand because I'd be embarrassed of you. Reality TV show, I don't get it, I don't. I, I really, I got enough mess with my life to be worried about somebody else's. And you know, it, it really is a bother to a pastor. And I, I got to invite you, Brother Dujour and his wife, uh, Carol, right? Carol. Roderick. Roderick. Uh, Brother Rod and Miss Carol are going to be here tonight. I'm not sure which one's preaching. But, uh, no, Brother Rod may be from Delaware, but he's got a heart as big as Texas. So I hope you come back tonight. It will be a great, great blessing to you. But uh, being in the ministry, Brother Rod... I hate dealing with people's problems. I really do. I have to. But I hate it. I got enough problems to keep me busy for a lifetime. I don't want to deal with yours. <laughs> Amen? And it'd be wonderful if you wanted to deal with yours instead of me. Amen? Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verse 1. I'll show you an attitude and a spirit that builds up in a church if you're not careful, in a family, in a home. In a community, chapter 3, verse 1, He, Jesus, entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath days, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he said unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day, or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. I always wonder about people who can't answer a simple question. Is it right for me to do this or not? They held their peace. They didn't care what was right or wrong. They just wanted to see him fail to do wrong. Verse 5. And when he had looked round about them with what? Say it. He got angry. He got angry at a spirit that didn't care about a man with a withered hand. Didn't care about a miracle of God. Didn't care about God being in their midst. All he wanted is to see Jesus fall. All he wanted was to see somebody else crumble. All he wanted was to, to point out a fault in someone else. And you know, that is a danger in a church where we go, oh, well, so-and-so, and we gossip, and we talk, and we, oh, so-and-so this, and oh, so-and-that. What are you doing? You're trying to bring everybody down to your level. That's what you're doing. Verse 5, And when he had looked round about them, on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the others. And watch all the Pharisees. And the Pharisees went forth, and straightway they didn't go, Wow, that was good. What a great church service. You see that guy's hand all healed? They didn't say that at all. Look what they did. They straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Be careful which spirit you got. Who are you supposed to be focused on? 
you. So let's look at David's desperate cry back in Psalm 51. And I'll only talk about some of these. We would be here for a month of Sundays, really pondering. I pondered these things for the last several weeks, and they are rich. But there's some key things I'd like to talk to you about David's desperate cry. Look in verse 1. He goes, and I'll just read some of these things if you'll read, read quietly. As I read Psalm 51, verse 1, as we already read, Have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, what's the first thing he asks for? Blot out my transgressions. Now this was no simple request that David is praying. David's sins were manifold. There were so many of them. They were complicated. And they affected a lot of people. Your sin doesn't usually affect just you. Do you think about that? It affects your home affects the church, affects our nation. So he begins to pray and not only ask for forgiveness, but he asks for the impossible. Are you ready? He asks God to destroy his record. I think this is breathtaking. He says, blot out my transgression. That is such a bold request. He says, please destroy the record of what I did. You know, that's what it means to forgive. To to destroy the record. David knew that God does forgive. Look at Psalm, here in Psalm 51, hold your place, go to Psalm 130. Psalm 130, verse 1. Psalm 130, verse 1. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? So if God started pointing out all the sins in this room, and we're all standing waiting to find out whether he's going to point out our sin, guess what? Every one of us would bite the dust. Every one of us would fall away because there's not one of us. There's none righteous. No, not one. There's not one of us that doesn't have issues to deal with. Amen? i got about six of you. If I could get all hundred of you, it would be a great, great revival day. Verse 4, But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. What a good truth, folks. He says, Lord, destroy the record. Hmm. You know, some people can keep records. <laughs> there are some people, like your mother... <laughs> I remember when you, oh my goodness, don't reminisce with your mother because she'll remember all the things you did when you were nine years old. Remember that. Where's, where's little uh, Oshin? <laughs> Some people can keep the records, amen? You know what? Satan keeps good records. But I read in my Bible where God says there's sins and their iniquities. Well, I remember no more. Wow. Folks, the reality is there is a permanent record that cannot be removed or destroyed. David is asking for him to, to, to destroy the records, but he only knows one way to restore the record, the evidence book, what, what, what would, would nail him, what would, would uh, uh, doom him forever, and that's to blot out the record. Amen. He says, God, blot it out. <laughs> so, so nobody can see it anymore. Blot it out so you can't even see it anymore. I think it's breathtaking. What does God use to blot out our sin record? 
I need you to go to, uh, to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Because ain't not good enough to blot out my sin record. Though your sins be as scarlet, what's the color of scarlet? All right. Guess what it's going to take to blot out my sins like scarlet? It's going to have to be blood that's also scarlet. Take your Bible, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you, 2.13, being dead in your sins in the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you how many trespasses? All your sins and trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, all the commandments you've broken that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it where? To his cross. Folks, when David says, blot out my transgressions, he didn't know exactly what he was saying or asking for, but believe me, it works. The blood can blot out and can make my sin record unreadable. Amen. Amen. Secondly, back there in Psalm 51, he says, verse 2, he says, wash me throughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. This is probably the most important request of all. You should ask to be forgiven, and that's great. But have you noticed that if you've got a reoccurring habitual sin, you'll ask to be forgiven over and over. Please forgive me again, please. And you get tired of asking for forgiveness. Remember that? Hmm. See, there were a lot of wrongs done, a lot of laws were broken, a lot of iniquities. There is sin and there's iniquity, okay? Let me give you the example. Sin is when the dog poos on the carpet in the sitting room just before the guests arrive, all right? That's when you want to kill the dog, amen? Capital offense. Are you with me? Sin is the act that the dog did. Iniquity is that poo sitting there and the smell and the stain that is left. But you know, God can not only forgive the sin, He can wash away the iniquity. Amen? And you need to ask for that. You need to ask because what we do is we carry the stain around. We carry around in our head every memory of every failure, and if you don't remember it, the devil will remind you of it. And if the devil's not reminding of it, some family member's reminding you of it. Amen. And that iniquity and that, that stench and that stain and that, that pain just keeps showing up and you keep falling right into it again. You keep stepping in it, somebody will call it. And David says, wash me throughly. Cleanse me from my sin. He didn't ask Nathan to cleanse him. Don't go to some priest who, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He can't cleanse you, folks. He can't absolve you of your sins. The high priest couldn't even do it. He asked God to do it. Amen. David asks over and over in this psalm, he says, wash me, wash me, wash me. Not just forgive me, but cleanse me. Get this out of here. Get it so that I don't even remember the taste of that pint of Guinness. Amen. Get me where I don't, I don't remember all the stupid hours I spent down at the pub or I spent in front of that stupid television or I spent with my stupid friends. Get me to where that is just washed away. That's how you pray. Because it is great to ask for forgiveness. There is forgiveness with the Lord. 
But David says, you know what? This is going to haunt me for the rest of my life. Wash it so it doesn't haunt me. Amen. Wash me thoroughly. Make me pure. In my conscience, in my spirit, in my memories. No amount of going to church is going to fix you, folks. You can go there and genuflect and do a hundred decades of rosary and you go out the same person you went in. Amen. It's going to take something supernatural. You had a cup of tea today, didn't you? Would you like to have another one? You'd say, no, I'll pass. <laughs> Why would you do that? Because it's filthy. It needs to be clean before it's used by somebody else. Do you know it's easy to clean a cup on the outside? It's harder to clean the inside, especially when it's been neglected. Now, uh, I told you about the, the preacher, like Pastor Dujour, who's, who's 50 years married. Is this your 50th anniversary, right? right. That's right. So, uh, uh, Pastor uh, has the special evangelist come in to preach, and the evangelist... Uh, uh, has preached a great message, and a man comes up and says, can I take the preacher up over to my house for lunch? And the pastor says, sure, you mind going with him? So he goes over to the house, sits down, the house is a little bit old, you know, tablecloth, a little dated, plates are, you know, from years gone by, and he's eating the food, and he notices some of the food on the plate is a little crusty underneath. And the, the old guy looks at him and says, I'm sorry, preacher, I'm sorry. That's just the best that cold water can do. And he oh, no, 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 brother, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Finishes off the meal. And uh, the old man says, would you like a piece of pie? I made some apple pie. Oh, I'd love a piece of pie. How about a cup of coffee? I'd love a cup of coffee. Out he goes, takes the plate back, comes back in, brings this beautiful uh, piece of apple tart and a cup of coffee. And he takes a bite of the apple tart. It's gorgeous, but he notices the plate is a little bit crusty with food from weeks, months before, and he says, mm, I better chug this down with a cup of coffee, and as he's tipping the coffee back, he sees the stain, and how thick it is in the back of the cup of coffee, and he puts it down, and the old man looks at him and says, brother, I'm so sorry, it's just the best that cold water can do, and he says, no, no, it's okay, brother, this is a great meal, great fellowship, I appreciate being here, we better give you getting back, can I help you do the dishes, he says, no, 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 no problem at all, I got it done, here, come here, cold, cold water, come here, <laughs> Yeah. My point is this. You know how easy it is to clean a cup right after it's gotten a mess? Real easy. You know how it is when it just piles up and piles up and doesn't get done for days and weeks and months? You know how hard it is? David cries out and says, Wash me, man. Please get rid of the stain of my sin. Don't let it build up. Don't let it just... Just grow. I let my sin fester for nine months. Get it out. I don't want to have that thing haunt me another day. Amen. Now you're going to have to be serious where you start to take it serious what it's going to cost you if you don't get sin dealt with in your heart. I want revival. But you ought to want to live. You ought to want to have the blessings of God. You ought to want to say, Lord, I don't want to live lethargic. I want when the pastor says we're going soul winning, I say, win. When the pastor says, we need to be given to faith promised missions, you say, how? And we say, let's stand and sing. And you just make a fool of yourself singing unto the Lord. You want to be that clean, that joyful, that excited, that on fire for God. Amen. Wash me thoroughly. 
Then he gets to a point, and he uses a phrase, he says, purge me. Look down at verse 7, he says, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Now, hyssop is what everybody, now this is, I, I think it's a beautiful flower. It's a flowering bush, and it reminds me of, you call them bluebells, right? Now over in America, we call them blue bonnets, and this is my favorite flower in the world. But these, these branches here of hyssop, they actually have a lot of health things. They use the seeds for different things. They use the flowers for aromatherapy and all this stuff. But it's that branch, the, the heads of them act like paintbrushes. So every man in, in the Exodus chapter 12 was told to take a lamb, kill that lamb in place of everyone in that family, capture the blood, drain the blood, and then they were supposed to eat that lamb, and then they were supposed to take that blood and with a, just a branch, just with that hyssop, go outside of the house and slap it on the top and the two side posts of their, every door. Why? So the judgment that was coming on Egypt would pass over them. Remember that? God said, use that hyssop to slap that blood on the doorposts of your, your home. And that will get you, not just forgiven, but God's judgment won't come on you like it should. And um, he says, purge me with hyssop. The Jewish high priest used the blood-dipped branch of a hyssop bush to sprinkle the blood on God's mercy seat in the temple. Simple branch. You only use it once. You take that blood and you sprinkle it on that mercy seat and he's able to come out of that holy of holies and says, it is finished, forgiven. Sins atoned for. And David cries out, would you do that for me? Would you atone for my sin with blood? You see, uh, I need you to go to Hebrews. So hold your place here in Psalm 51, and I'll show you the power of the blood of Christ on your conscience, on your past, and on your future. Hebrews chapter 9, and verse 14. Hebrews 9, verse 14. Well, if you start in verse 13, I should say. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer, it's a cow, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, make your body clean, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, how much more shall the blood of Christ purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Look down at verse 22. Still in Hebrews 9, 22. And almost all things are by the law purged. There's a key word with what? With blood. And without the shedding of blood is no remission. Why did Jesus have to die? Because it took blood to pay for your sin. Our blood is in trouble, is, is, is the problem. Christ's blood is a solution. Now, what is it that, that, that David needed purged? Psalm 90 now. Go back to Psalm, Psalm 90 in verse 8. Psalm 90, verse 8. <clears throat> Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, like a TV set. Just, he's able to see everything. Our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. 
What was what was what were David's sins? They were secret sins. Who do you think knew about all that David did besides Joab, Bathsheba, and God? Who else knew about his sins? Well, his servants knew something was going on. I don't know how much they knew or whether they cared or whatever, they just turned a blind eye. But let me just tell you, David's sins were what we call secret sins. Yes, ma'am? Oh, yes, he did. Yes. At this point, he knows. Yes, ma'am. But for the longest time, he didn't care. And that's what I'm dealing with. Now, listen, let me say something real clear. You cannot pay for your sins. What we've done in our past, every person in this room has enough to send us to hell for an eternity. Amen. There's not one person who's better and not one person who's worse than saying so-and-so, well, they deserve... Are you, are you serious? You think you want to say so-and-so deserves hell and somebody else doesn't? God doesn't think that way. So we got to step back and go, all right, my sins, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sins not in part but the whole are nailed to the cross, and I bear them no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. My sins, folks. And you know what? Most of them are secret. That's the truth. I, I don't... To me, most of your sins that you struggle with, I don't know about. You know about them, and God knows about them. That's the truth. Secret sins. Uh, you know, Jesus said about the, uh, the Pharisees, he said, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup. Oh man, you, you look great on the outside, but inside you are dead men's bones. Let me just be real honest with you. There are in every one of us sins we have not dealt with yet. And if we want revival, we've got to be able to look at it and go, you know what, Lord, that's what I look like on the inside, and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I don't mean you need to go around to everybody and say to Gavin, Gavin, i got to tell you about my sins I've been struggling with. Don't do that, okay? Gavin probably will go jump off a cliff, drown himself, who knows? You know you need to talk to? You need to talk to God. I'll help you, but I don't need to know all the details. God does. You need to, you need to say, you know what? There's things in my life. Again, what I say about Psalm 51, don't you dare worry about anybody else and what they're going through and what they've done. You need to say, wash me. Open my eyes to what's in me. Let, me. let me have a good look at just how filthy I am. See, but I'm, but I'm saved, Pastor. Amen. But if, what if I watched you all week long and watched what you watched and heard every word came out of your mouth, all things you did and what things you didn't do. You know, they're not only sins that you do, they're sins where you don't do what you're supposed to do. Um, there are sins that are secret. There are sins we're not being honest about. Look at first chapter Psalm 51, verse 6. It says, Behold, thou desirest truth. Back there in Psalm 51, verse 6. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. In the hidden parts shall thou make me to know wisdom. He's talking about himself. He says, You want me to be truthful and honest to me. Everybody says, Be true to yourself. Nobody knows how to do that until you start to own up. I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. And I want to be honest about it. Sins that I'm not used to being honest about, you need to get honest with. And sins that we're used to. Um, 
Boy, I have a lot I wish I could talk about. Folks, David knows there's no sacrifice. There was no Old Testament sacrifice that would take away the sin of murder. There's a sin of stealing you could get a sacrifice for. There's a sin of lying you get a sacrifice for. But did you know if you murdered, guess what? You were supposed to die. If you committed adultery, there was no sacrifice. You couldn't go and bring a special lamb and get forgiveness for that sin of adultery. Are you with me? So what's David's hope? His hope is, Lord, is there a way? And believe me, there is. Through the blood of a substitute dying in your place. Hebrews chapter 1. I, I uh, have to do just a few other cross-references here. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Speaking of Jesus. Hebrews 1, 3. Who being the brightness of God's glory and the express image of God's person and upholding all things by the word of His power when He had by Himself, without His mother, without an angel, with nobody helping him, when he by himself, what's the next three words? Purged our sins. And he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high because there's nothing left to do. He purged our sins. Let me tell you, there is no sin that you've ever committed or that you ever will commit that Christ has not paid for. Amen, amen, amen. You just got to want him to purge that, that stuff that nobody sees and that you don't want to talk about. Say, Lord, purge me with this. Purge me with the blood. You know, I read that. We don't have time. I wish, uh, this is probably, I actually was going to say, skip all the rest of this. I'm just going to talk about the hyssop and the blood because your conscience is your worst enemy. It is also your best friend because if you've lost your conscience, you've lost your mind. If you have a conscience that says, I shouldn't say that, thank God. If you have a conscience that says, I shouldn't watch that. If you have a conscience that says, I'm not going to go with that person. I'm not going to do that. Amen. But you know what? Most of our consciences got burned out a long time ago. You know how to get your conscience back? Ask God to apply the blood to your conscience. We just read that in Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, the blood of bulls and goats can only cleanse the outside flesh, but the blood of Christ can purge our conscience so we can serve God again. So you pray and say, Lord, purge out that thought. Help me. Lord, just, just burn it out. Just... Just overwhelm it. Don't let me go there anymore by the power of the blood of Christ. Amen. Purge me with hyssop. That's a good thing to just sit and ponder for a little bit. You're struggling with habitual sin? Bring the blood in on it. Trust the blood. There's power in the blood. Amen. If there wasn't, we're wasting our time. I'm going to skim a few here. But verse 8, he says, make me to hear joy and gladness. You know, that'll be, that's, that's when you got revival, is when people are enjoying spiritual things. Too many people are looking for the fun of this world. Let me tell you, it's only for a season. You ought to, you ought to, have, enough, you ought to have enough joy that'll last you a week just from hearing the Word of God preached and by getting your heart right. Amen. Let me hear joy and gladness. Create in me a, I'm sorry, uh, I'm racing ahead here. Give me hope. In verse 8, he goes on, Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. He's saying, Put hope back in me again. Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Uh, um, verse uh, 10, Create in me 
uh, get up here, a clean heart. I wanted to get to this verse. The most important need of your heart is not friendship. The most important need of your heart is not love. It's to be clean. Let me tell you, with a clean heart, you can sleep at night, folks. With a clean heart, you can be a friend to anybody. With a clean heart, you can, you, you can walk into battle and not worry about a thing. Are you listening? The heart needs to be clean. And David finally realizes, Lord, I, I, I know what I need. I, need. I don't need another wife. Number two should have woke him up to that reality. He had seven already, and here he is messing with somebody else's wife. His heart didn't need another wife. His heart needed to be clean. Created me a clean heart. You know what? It's, 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 don't, don't be freaked out, but let me just say it this way. Evidently, it's possible because 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, going through all the things, uh, know you not that, that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor murderers, nor the whole thing there. And he goes, but such were some of you. But you're washed. But you're cleansed. But you're sanctified. Hey, God can create a clean heart in the most vile of lives. Amen. Number eight. He goes on, verse 10. He says, renew, create me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. That's a cool request. He says, revive my spirit. Renew. It's like recharge. It's like your, your battery on your phone's dead, so you plug it in, you let it recharge. You need to get to the place where you're in the Bible, not because you have to, because you say, well, i got to read my Bible, not because it's something the pastor's making you do, not because your parents are making you do it, but because it is how you get life. How you get a, 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 um, uh, a new day starts in the Word of Life. And you say, I've got to get into this book. I can't go a day, two days, a week, two weeks. You find out. Ask, ask David when we get to heaven, how long did he go without reading his Bible when he went up there on that rooftop? I guarantee you, he wasn't reading his Bible before he got bored. His boredom said, you know what, I better read my Bible? No, his boredom says, I want to go changing channels for a little bit and see what's on TV tonight. Renew a right spirit in me. Give me that Revived spirit. Excited spirit. Now again, let me skip a comment. Don't discard me. He's asking God, don't throw me away like he should have. You know, there are people, do you know that over in America, there's some guy at the Health and Human Services. Uh, I don't even know him. I didn't know he was there. This guy was working for Trump and he, he was charging to the taxpayers about a million dollars worth of flights. He was going hither and there doing his job uh, in the Ministry of Health and all this stuff. Uh, and you know what he had to do? He had to step down. Because he should have been flying cheaper airlines, but he was using private charter jets, and they exposed it. He had to step down. He got fired. Amen? You know what? David says, Lord, don't fire me. Where will I go? Don't throw me away. I know you should. But you know, David's willing, because he's clinging to God's mercy, because he's doing things right, he says, can you give me another chance? Amen? Have you ever prayed that? God wants to answer that. Ask Jonah. Does God give second chances? Amen. Amen. Don't throw me away. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, David doesn't understand what we understand. He watched the, the Spirit of God move from off of King Saul and an evil spirit come upon him and possess him and destroy him. And he said, don't let that happen to me. Don't let that happen to me. He's scared. 
And you ought to be very scared just how long you'll let sin stew in your life. And he says, restore my joy. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Remember where you got your salvation is not from yourself, not from your church, but from God. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Do you ever get excited about church? Do you ever get excited about the Bible? Do you ever get excited about heaven? You will when you're closing your eyes in death. Now I have it now. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Uphold me. Now, that's a great word. Verse 12, he says, Uphold me with thy free spirit. That free spirit means it's alive. It's running around. It's active. He says, Would you hold me up with your energy, with your strength? I'm tired of going on my own strength. I'm tired of, of, of doing my own ways. Would your Holy Spirit now be in charge of my life? Amen. Ask God to take charge and be the pilot of your life and you just sit in the back seat with your mouth shut. Amen. Hold me up now. And lastly, oh, and he, he waits for the last to ask this. <laughs> Look down there in verse 12. He says, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. It shouldn't be verse 12. It should be uh, verse 14. 14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. What is he talking about? I'm guilty of shedding blood. Deliver me from, from the judgment against a murderer, O God. Thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. He asks, he waits, to get to the big, Jesus, Lord, don't kill me. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. So he's worked through an impossible list. And you would believe it. If somebody murdered your husband or your wife or your daughter or your son or somebody close to you, you'd want justice. Believe me, God does too. Or else he'd be an unrighteous judge. How's God going to fix all that? Well, he did David on an IOU. Do you understand that? You know, how many know what an IOU is? Some of you said IOU. I didn't say I love you. I said IOU. All right, anyway. <laughs> an IOU is when you borrow some money and you write a little card and it says, I owe you 20 euros. I'll pay you next week and you hand it to him, whatever. And under, under the Old Testament law, there was no way for David to get any of this done. There's no way. Not there. Not a zilch empty, stupid request. But you know what? He still asked and there was a way. It was just coming. At the right time, on a right hill, on a cross, a payment would be made that would undo and fix and atone for David's sins that were impossible to atone for. They were impossible to forgive, impossible to purge. And there it is. See, David's request, don't think anything's too hard for God. You say, Lord, I've gone too far. Yeah, you probably have. Lord, I've done too much wrong. Yeah, you probably have. But then again, God says you haven't. And if we want revival, we've got to be able to say, Lord, in my life, whatever I've held on to, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So what stains, what what wrongs, what sins have I held on to? That's what it means to regard. Send my regards, is how we say. Send my affections. What is it that you're still holding on to? God can take all of that thing, and the best thing that David ever did, look in chapter, six, chapter 51, verse 16. 
For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering, because that was what the Old Testament demanded. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, broken in a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. He allowed God to break him. And this was a man's man. This was a man who took on Goliath at somewhere around 18 years old. That's a tough dude. This is a man who uh, had 600 men who looked up to him and, and, and were willing to give their lives for him because he was a man's man. There wasn't anything that David was afraid of. David survived uh, for seven years out in, in, in the mountains and in the deserts and in the fields. He didn't have a place he could call home. He was a man's man. But when God got him, he broke. Amen. Some of you women need to look up to your man who's a man's man and say, God, get him. Because <laughs> it's not your job to break him. Amen. We need to build some men again, brother. God, David allowed God to break him. And that's what repentance is. Listen to the definition of repentance here. Repentance is the right response to the pressures that God puts on you concerning your sin. And if you just get saved, you say, I'll just pray a prayer and get saved. You're going to hell as fast as the devil. Prayers don't save you. A broken heart about your sin is soft ground for the Word of God to produce salvation. You must realize whatever you're going through now is God trying to put pressure on you to get you saved. And you've got to respond right, like David did. Dave was already saved. Don't you say, well, this is where David gets saved. Dave's not asking for the joy of salvation. He's not asking for salvation. He says, he's just asking for the joy back of his salvation. He already trusted the atoning lamb. He already knew about the sacrifice. But David had let sin work so deep in his heart and his life, he was numb. Numb, numb, numb. The only sacrifice that he had, and believe me, it was the only thing he had to offer God was a broken heart, a broken spirit, sorry, and a contrite heart. Now, the broken spirit, that's the opposite of a blind, proud spirit that can't even look at yourself. Can't even, don't even want to look at yourself. Every time you see a mirror, you see everybody else's faults instead of your own. A broken spirit looks right at it and sees your own passions, your own emotions, your own sins, and it crushes you. David says, I'm no longer going to be stubborn. I'm not going to fight you anymore. There's no more fight in me. He's broken. I've seen some horses that are crazy until they're broken. And then you can put a five-year-old on them and they'll trot along just fine. Hmm. Contrite heart? That's a heart that doesn't yell, scream, demand, argue, fight. A contrite heart is very small. Weak, defeated, totally dependent just on Jesus. Those sacrifices, when we give them to God, they actually move the heart of God toward us. Look, one of us needs to get started. One of us needs to get revival. And it could just affect the whole church. And just one church got revival. It could affect a nation. We need revival. We need something that restores joy and energy and passion in our lives and in our church. I wish you just, I wish you just would, 
drop all the, the facade and all the nice clean outside and get the heart clean so when you come to church you're willing to be a fool for Christ. You're willing to sing as loud and you're willing to say, can we sing another instead of get it over with? We need passion in our church. We need passion in our Christian lives. Psalm 51 is the most incredible responses to spiritual apathy and sluggishness. Why do I say that? Because David had gone nine months and he didn't care. He needed, he needed either to die <laughs> or to get right. Amen. Because he was, he was so far from God. How David got in trouble is probably how you and I got in most, get in most trouble. Boredom just starts the process. If you want to get right with God, appeal to His mercy. He is merciful. It's one of the most common words in the, in the Old Testament. The mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Amen. Appeal to God's mercy. Acknowledge your transgressions. Take responsibility for it. Hey, start to own up. You know what? I'm too bored. I've got too little to do. I should get a job. I should get out of the house. Uh, I don't know who I was talking to, but... Uh, the truth of the matter is, years ago, everybody was outside of the house. They were all working. They weren't having the problems that we got with our generations. Generations on their iPods and, and, and smartphones, they're in so much filth. I don't know if anybody's going to get saved anymore. But I know this, when people are outside in the dirt playing and working and, and climbing trees and stuff, you know, we had people getting saved. We had people who were getting right with God. We had people, folks, if you're sitting bored, you're going down. Start to acknowledge, Lord, I've been sitting in the house too long. I've been watching my iPad too long. I've been uh, spending my time on that idiot box too long. i got to get out! Because <laughs> I don't want to get caught in that stupid mess again. Ask God for the impossible. So you say, how could God ever use me? How could God ever use me? How could God put two good things together in my life? Ask for the impossible. If He can wash you and cleanse you, He can use you. Allow God to break you. Dan's life verses, except a kernel of wheat fall to the ground and die, it'll always be alone. And if you're wondering why God's trying to put the pressure on you and break you, it's because that's when He that's when He starts to use you. Let Him do it. Do it even now. Bow your heads. Close your eyes right now. Nobody looking around. If you kind of feel that lethargy, you kind of feel like you drag your feet. Even just coming to church. Can you imagine? The easiest thing you could ever do in Ireland is go to church. The easiest thing you could do, and yet people find it hard. Try to do it in Indonesia. Try to go to church over there in Saudi Arabia. Try to get into a church in, in, in most of the rest of the world. Easiest thing to do. Is, and you find it hard? Let me tell you. Let me ask you this. Don't you think that is wrong? Ask yourself, are you sluggish? reading your Bible, handing out tracts, loving your brothers, loving your enemies. Jerry, I got problems with it. What's on your iPad? What's on your computer? What's on your TV? How many channels do you have that you know you should never go to? What's your nightlife like? Are your friends like? I mean, I could go through the whole thing. Would you just let the Lord just convict you? What's your conversation like between you and your husband, you and your wife, you and your kids? 
proud of it? Say, Lord, please deliver me. Wash me. Purge me. Stop this thing. I'm, I'm so used to it. I don't know how to break free from it. Purge it with hyssop. Don't just forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me so I don't even think about it. I think of a, I have a new way of thinking. I have a new way of talking. Lord, please, start with me. Start with me. If you're thinking of anybody else right now, you're in the most need of revival. Don't think of anybody else. Lord, start with me. Lord, that's my prayer. This message is for me. Whether anybody else in this room ever got it, it was for me. I spent a lot of time with your Lord just talking and thinking, and I keep coming back to some old things, stupid things, that I even know were there. The pressure you put on me just reveals it. I don't want to just be forgiven. I want to be changed. I believe there's a whole lot of people in this room who do do too. So please honor our request this morning. It'd be nice if somebody got saved. It'd be nice if somebody said, you know what, I got enough sin to send me to hell forever and ever and ever. I believe it's true. I believe it's true that the, that the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us from all sin. And I trust Him now to cleanse away my sin and to save my soul. Don't wait till it's too late. There's so many people in hell right now who wish they could have heard this message. There's so many people in hell right now who wish they could have a second chance. And here you go. You got it. What are you going to do with it? Father, hear our hearts cry. Change us, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.